What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZWLP Conroe and 106.1 KZCCLP Conroe and worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. Welcome to the Extension Hour. I'm Amy Ressler, County Extension Agent for Family and Community Health. And this is the Extension Hour. We talk about our people, our programs, our partnerships. And partnerships is one of those things we're going to focus on today. Um, so I've done several shows with the Behavioral Health and Suicide Prevention Task Force and different um, work group members. And today I have two beautiful women with me here. I've got Reagan Steiner and Janelle Martin, and they are involved with the um, Behavioral Health and Suicide Prevention, um, mostly because of a really personal story and a personal ex, um, experience. So um, there's so many parts, so many things that are related to, to mental health and um, mental wellness. And, and sometimes when those things get off track, they can lead to um, some difficult situations. And so we, that's kind of what we wanted to focus on today. So I'm not going to tell your story. I'm going to let you guys start telling your story. So go ahead and introduce yourself and, and we'll start, we'll get into kind of why you're here and, and what our topic for the day is. All right, so my name is Reagan Steiner, and I am 21 years old. Um, I am currently a recovery coach and becoming a licensed chemical dependency counselor. And after I complete that, I also want to get my LPC. So working in the recovery field, as I am also personally in recovery myself, and I will pass it to my mother. Okay. Let me let me interrupt you just a second. So um, I'm really bad about using acronyms as well. So oh. you said an LPC, which is a licensed professional counselor, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Yes. And Janelle, you are an LPC. I'm an LCDC. Uh, okay. Which mm-hmm. is a licensed chemical dependency counselor. Okay. I'm also an ISS certified provider, so I am um, able to provide microcurrent neurofeedback and which helps heal the brain, which helps people with addictions because it helps to heal the damage that can be done with substances. So I'm also a mom of Reagan and our journey is, um, it's quite a, an interesting one, but it's mm-hmm. one that we feel like is really important to tell because um, we're normal people and, and we're a normal family and addiction still um, is part of our lives. So mm-hmm. um, it can happen to anybody. Right. So if uh, I were to just meet you on the street, I would just never imagine that you had been through struggles that you've been through. No. Mm -hmm. So how did that happen? Okay. So, (laughs) um, so starting from a young age for me, uh, my parents got divorced whenever I was very young. I think I was about three. Um, And so around that time, my dad kind of still lived in the same area and me and my older brother would go visit him every other month or every other month, every other weekend. Um, And just kind of from a young age, I had started feeling as if my father really favorited my brother more. Um, and things were getting chaotic between him and my mom, and there was kind of like fighting starting. Um, also at five years old, I was sexually assaulted by my dad's neighbor, um, for the entire almost year or so that he lived there. Um, and I didn't tell anybody, I was too scared, so I held that in for forever. Um, but pretty much just growing up, um, it was really more so just the fighting between like my mom and my dad and it was more so just like all that chaos and me and my brother always feeling like we were we had to choose sides like we were put in the middle of it 
Um, Because I also want to preface, my brother was my entire world. We like he was my everything, my protector. We were so close. Um, So by the time I got into junior high, um, at this point, me and my dad weren't really close at all. He had moved away um, to a different state. So we didn't get to see him a whole lot. And when we were there, it was that favoritism with my brother just played in a lot more. It was kind of like I was always alone there and it was just them always having fun and whatever my brother wanted went and um, whatever I wanted was dismissed. Um, And there was also a certain time I remember whenever we went to visit him, um, we were eating at the dinner table and he had made comments um, telling me that I'm fat, that, you know, making like those kinds of comments. I was about nine years old. Um, And so I quickly got an eating disorder. I started starving myself. I really wanted him to accept me. I wanted to feel that love from him, wanted him to favorite me too. Um, So now looking back, I can see that's where my addiction started was Mm -hmm. in my eating habits. Um, But anyways, yeah, so moving into junior high, my dad uh, took my mom to court to get custody of my brother but not me. So that's pretty much where I kind of fell off at that point Um, because I couldn't understand. I had always kind of had that suspicion that he didn't love me the same. Um, And then that just kind of solidified it in my Mm -hmm. mind. Um, And so that's honestly where I started getting really depressed. Um, And it started to ruin mine and my brother's relationship a lot um, because We had to talk to attorneys and stuff about it, and my story was very different from my brother's story. My brother's was completely out there, like, fighting abuse in the home and all of that, and it wasn't true. Um, So my dad didn't get custody of him, and so my dad pretty much blamed it on me and told my brother it was my fault that he couldn't move in with my dad. Um, So that really put a strain on our relationship, and so... um, at that point, it really sucked. I felt really alone because um, I counted on my brother for everything growing up. I thought he was the only person I could trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were about how old at that time? You were eighth grade when that went down. Yeah. Okay. So 13, 14. Yeah. yeah. And Janelle, what was going on with you around oh this time? Oh, my gosh. You know, it's one of those things as a parent, you see what's happening and you can't you can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. So I was bound by a court order where the the visitation had to happen. And you think, luckily, he didn't live in the same state, so it should have been easier, but it wasn't. There was, you know, we have cell phones, so there was constant communication, and there was constant badgering, especially of my son. And and it it was so obvious that it was disruptive to our home, but I, what could I do? If I stop that, then then I look like the bad guy because I'm stopping the communication. So this is kind of one of those snowballs. It's snowballing, mm-hmm. and, I, and, and I can't do anything about it. And the last thing I want to do is have chaos in my home. So I didn't talk about it really at all either. I didn't defend myself. I didn't do any of those things. Mm-hmm. But on their end, they were hearing a lot of things that, that untruths that they wanted clarification, and, and it was – I was stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm -hmm. And so you see your kids suffering and there's just not a lot you can do. Mm -hmm. However, drugs was not ever part of something I could ever envision happening. So I can see that we have issues. I can feel the tension in the home, but 
I'm feeling like the best thing I can do is provide just a normal space for them. They, you know, they played sports and they were busy and they got good grades and, you know, everything was normal in that way. Mm -hmm. And, and you feel like if you keep your kids busy, they, they'll maybe not hurt so much from the other things that you don't have control over. So that was where I was. Mm -hmm. Um, but it just continued to get worse. Right. Yeah. So then what happened? So, well, I like to say with that, um, because that was her mindset at the time, but with my depression totally kicking in, um, I was never big on self-harming. I'm horrible with pain, so I could never get myself to do it. But I do remember at that point, because there were certain times where I'd get home from school and I'd be home alone, everybody would be gone, and, um, and I would be like sitting there with a razor, really debating on it. Um, and checking the cabinet for any type of like medications that I could just overdose on. So like for me, it was getting pretty serious and I would just never talk about it. Um, And so from that point on, uh, I went into my freshman year and I got my first boyfriend. You know how that goes. (laughs) But um, anyways, so... Um, that's kind of when my addiction with like the eating stuff kind of progressed Mm to guy attention. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I lost my virginity. I was 14. So I was baby, didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I got caught because I was lying about where I was and I was staying at this guy's house. And so it really seemed like after that, can I say like... No, no. <laughs> Everything <laughs> went downhill. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I would agree. It was downhill from there, right? Because yeah. I mean, it's confusing enough just just to be a teenager, right? And mm-hmm. so many changes happening, and then um, the the desire that we have for love and acceptance and mm-hmm. trying to find it wherever you Absolutely. can, even if it's wrong wrong and someone who does not have your best interests in mind obviously just kind of makes things a hundred times worse oh yeah yeah so she caught me um at this boy's house and of course I'm grounded I'm in trouble I lied about where I was and all of that and it came out that I had lost my virginity and um for some reason it really made my brother like hate me um and I never really understood it but I think it was because he as much as I put him like on that pedestal and gave him that like brotherly and fatherly role he very much took that on for himself so Mm -hmm. to him it felt like he failed trying to raise me um and how much older than you is two years okay two years yeah so um yeah so at that point our relationship was completely destroyed. Um, he wouldn't talk to me or have anything to do with me unless he was calling me names, call me a whore, whatever it was. Um, and it was very hurtful. And eventually he started trying to get physical with me. Um, and there were a couple times where he did put his hands on me. Um, and her and my stepdad would have to break up those fights. Um, and so at that point, I really just hated my life, um, hated myself, um, and it really just became to a point where I needed another way out. 
Um, and I think it's like, it's not really funny, but it kind of is because all up to this point, I was always the girl that was like, like, if you do drugs, you're a bad person. Like, if like if you're even friends with somebody that does them, don't talk to me. Um, but, I mean, after all of that happened, quickly, that's where I ended. Um, so, I think I tried, like, weed for the first time. And um, that was, like, my first time really getting high. At 16. And 16 might have been younger. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, I think so. No, it was 16 because I had a car. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Great. <laughs> it was it was very quickly after turning 16. Um, okay, so it sounds like <laughs> maybe there's there's even more things that which which is so this is kind of what we want to talk about and we're gonna so you're telling a story that a parent or a mom is just, would be just like, oh, you know, how, how does this happen, right? So um, we're going to take a break, but okay. we're going to come back. And Janelle, you're going to okay. have a chance to tell us a little <laughs> okay. bit about how did this happen. Yeah. All right. So you're listening to the Extension Hour. We talk about our people, our programs, our partnerships. We've got some very open people here today giving us um, a little bit of insight to their story and how things happen um, related to mental health and addiction. So uh, we'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Wayne Green, your host for Radio Wayne, Spoke and More. Each Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m., I'll be playing folk, singer-songwriter, Americana, blues, bluegrass, classic country, Cajun zydeco, Celtic swing, and whatever else seems to fit. Once again, that's Radio Wayne, Spoke and More, every Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. on Lone Star Community Radio. We have the safest food supply in the world. Strict laws and regulations restrict the usage of hormones, antibiotics, and pesticides within our food supply. Production agriculture practices and technologies such as the use of GMOs, which is not any more or less risky than conventional crop production, has allowed American farmers to produce more food on less acres in environmentally sound ways. Find out more online at pathtoplate.tamu.edu. We are Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. Helping Texans make lives better. What is homelessness? Have you seen how parents struggle to find a job when they have neither transportation or child care? What about the children sleeping in cars with nothing to eat? Families shouldn't have to struggle to survive, and children should not be homeless. Family Promise of Montgomery County serves the needs of homeless families and their children. Learn about partnership opportunities and how you can help at www.familypromiseofmc.org or call 936-441-8778. Welcome back. This is the Extension Hour. I'm Amy Ressler. We talk about our people, our programs, our partnerships, and one of the things that we've been doing in family and community health is um, addressing some some mental health issues. And um, we've got a lot of programs that can help kind of um, address mental health, but of course what we do in Extension is very much a, a preventative side. So um, we've got some classes on Stress Less with Mindfulness. Um, we're, we're coming up with a youth mental health curriculum so that um, hopefully it gives kids a, an, um, an opportunity to talk about some of those things that can be bothering them. And um, so, you know, I think 
as I'm listening to the story that we've got Reagan Steiner here and, and Janelle Martin, and I'm listen, we're listening to their story about basically Reagan became addicted to drugs. And so she's shared a little bit about um, a lot of trauma going on in her life and, and things happening and really no outlet to, to talk about it. Very loving, present mom that's there willing, but um, a lot of pain going on inside that makes it really hard to um, share that information. And um, so you were saying before we went to break how you felt like you just couldn't, um, <clears throat> you, you thought that only only bad people do drugs and you're not one of those bad people, but you got into drugs, right? So started smoking some weed. Yeah, so um, it started with uh, smoking weed and um, at that point, it was mainly because I just didn't really care about much anymore. Um, so I was like, you know, I'll try it, whatever. Everyone does it anyways. Um, and it was that first initial high for me, right? So none of my problems, none of my pain, like it was all non-existent at that moment whenever I was high. Mm -hmm. um, and so like that just really stuck with me. I was so sick for so, like all of those years since being little, you know, feeling all that pain and not feeling like I had anybody to talk to about it or mm -hmm. anybody that really cared. Um, because if I'm going to be honest, like my mom was always there for me. Um, but it was that aspect of when she was saying how she would mostly stay silent and not share her side. Mm -hmm. Um, at that time, I didn't understand that. For me, it, it, it made me really resentful towards her because I'm like, why aren't you sticking up for yourself? Like, if, mm -hmm. if everything he's saying is not true, why aren't you saying something, you know? So, Janelle, yeah. do you want to, why, why, I mean, you, you explained it a little bit. Yeah, because, you know, and I, I've had this conversation with friends and my husband now, and, and, you know, and the best advice that I got was just to stay above it. Because if you if you do the same thing, you know, the kid never does not know what to believe. They want to believe both parents and they don't want to believe that their parents would lie to them. So if you just wait it out, eventually the kids will understand and know what the truth is. So that's what I was hoping for, that eventually if I just didn't engage and I wasn't perfect at it. There were times where I just had to say something, but just, you were in a lot of pain I, it was yourself, very difficult. Right? <laughs> yes, because yeah. I can I was I'm very aware about what's going on in my home. And, mm -hmm. and I knew that a lot of that was going on. I didn't know specifics at the time, but I knew it was happening sure. and just felt like my best game plan would be to keep my mouth quiet and just let them figure it out because they always will figure it out at mm -hmm. some point. So, um, and so that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I had no idea she was in that kind of pain. Mm -hmm. I knew, I knew some of it, but I think I, I know I didn't understand the depth of it right. for her. And so Reagan, you, you are a recovery counselor now. So you're working on working with teens. So, yes. you know, in retrospect, you can't change the past you know, what happened happened, but is there something now that like, if you could go back and tell your 16 year old self that you would tell yourself or something that you would tell some of the kids that you're working with? Um, if I could go back and tell my 16 year old self something, it would, it wouldn't be to change anything that happened or that I did. Um, because it got me where I am today. I think it would more so be of like just stay strong like just you just keep pushing through you know even when you want to die mm -hmm. just keep living because I promise it's all worth it in the end mm -hmm. um 
just some type of motivation or even to say like somebody does love you like you're just not completely worthless nobody is um because I just I didn't I didn't know that I like that's really what I thought of myself I thought you know because especially once I started using it was like I have like I have absolutely nothing right Mm -hmm. I made it up in my mind you know I was put on this earth to die when I'm 18 from doing drugs and that that was pretty much my plan um so you want me to get back into yeah 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 okay so yeah so I was just smoking weed for a while and the fighting and everything was still going on my brother graduated and left the house and that was still hard on me even though he was horrible to me (laughs) um so I continued and um Yeah, I really, I mean, I just didn't think I had anything to live for. It was, you know, what's the point? Nobody cares about me anyways. Clearly, nobody loves me. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't, like, have the life that I have. Um, So I started getting into harder drugs um, because we didn't give me that high that, you know, I wanted. I wanted wanted it to be more. I wanted to shut everything out. And, I mean, yeah, like, I wanted to die. So I started doing a lot of acid and I started doing a lot of Xanax. Um, And I never really drank. I was never a big drinker. I hated the taste. It was disgusting. (laughs) But um, yeah, I pretty much just like totally sold my life to doing drugs. I ended up stopped playing volleyball um, because that used to be my escape and it just didn't do it anymore. That pain was just so overwhelming. So, you know, eventually going up into my senior year, I'm like skipping school, showing up high, I'm doing coke, molly, I mean, really, you name it, I'm pretty much doing it at that point. Um, And I just didn't care about anything. Um, I don't know if you want to go into. Yeah, I saw a darkness envelope her over about, I would say about eight months um, a period of time and and I and in the be- the very beginning the very probably six of those months I had really no idea what was happening I could just see it she dressed like a, ho- a homeless person she she stopped really caring she had really long hair and she wouldn't brush it for days she just looked awful and you look at her. She's a beautiful girl. She's always looked like this. But it, it was like she was folding in on herself and trying to hide. And I'll never forget that because that was heartbreaking. And, and at that point, you know there's something really wrong. She's telling you everything's fine. Mm-hmm. So I can't get her to talk to me. But um, thank goodness somebody told me what was going on with her and broke me out of my denial, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't stop it at that point, but it alerted me to their, the, okay, this is what's going on. Of course, she promised, I'll stop, it's fine, I just am sad, I need a counselor, we did that. She fooled the counselor, she went to sessions high. It was, it was not a chemical dependency counselor, so I didn't know anything about that then. Mm-hmm. So you can't, it's not really a, appropriate to just send your kid that has a drug problem to any old counselor. Okay. They don't all understand what it is to be addicted or what that looks like or even what that population is dealing with. Right. So it's a special type of thing. So I didn't know that, I had no idea. I've never done drugs in my life. I never smoked a cigarette. I never would. So 
new for me. I'm clueless, absolutely clueless what to do, but I know this is bad. Mm -hmm. But she says she's fine. I I believed her like I wanted to because she was telling me the right things. Got her a dog. We did all whatever she wanted. Like Mm -hmm. if you just don't do drugs, you can have whatever you want. We did Mm -hmm. that. But the, you were still doing that. That did not work. So, yeah, I, <laughs> yes. I totally manipulated the dog, which totally. I still have today. Yes. Good, so. Yes. But luckily, her she progressed very quickly in her addiction. And within six months of that, it it we it broke, right? It broke. And I had to kick her out. And it was in the middle of her senior year of mm-hmm. high school. And I sent her to her dad, which broke my heart. I can imagine. Yeah. After all that you've just heard, sending my kid to my to her dad was mm-hmm. the hardest thing I've ever done. But I wouldn't allow it in my house. Mm-hmm. You can't do drugs in my house. So then what happened? So, yeah, so for me, it just my point of view is at that point when she kicked me out, I mean, I was totally consumed by the drugs. I really, there was not a thing in this world that I cared about pretty much other than my dog because I thought that was the only thing that loved and cared about me. Um, and so she kicked me out, um, and told me that I was going to go live with my dad. And so while she's internally freaking out, you know, about what she just talked about, I'm sitting here thinking that's a great idea. He does not care about me. I don't care about him. So like, we'll just be like roommates, right? I'll live there. I'll do whatever I want and we'll just stay out of each other's lives. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I expected. I mean, he's done it almost 18 years this far, so you know, it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, So how did that work out? (laughs) Not like that. So um, packed my stuff, go, go live with him um, in Arizona. And um, like the first week, it was okay. I was kind of just like playing nice. Um, Because really, for me, I, I was trying to like put on this like show that I was like, fine, that I was good, that I was happy. um, When that wasn't the case. Um, but anyways, so once I start getting connected with the people in school that, you know, did the things that I did, um, again, my life is completely consumed again. I'm staying out all the time and I'm just, I'm like, there's never really a second of the day that I'm actually sober. Um, and so around that time, you know, my dad starts trying to have like father daughter time every day let's go to lunch when what time do you get off of school let's go do this together and it it pissed me off it really did um and i would just always say like no i have plans i never like really said anything to him i was just like no i'm busy um but it just like really made me mad because i didn't understand i'm like you know you had almost 18 years it was only a couple months before my 18th birthday right and so i'm like you've had almost 18 years to care about me and you never wanted to, you never did. So why all of a sudden now, like, why is that a thing? You know, mm-hmm. like, you don't love me. You don't want to hang out with me. So stop acting like it, you know, stay on your side and I'll stay on mine. Um, and so, you know, we started fighting a lot, um, almost pretty much every day. Um, you know, he would tell me you need to be home at this time. I would pretty much say F you and do whatever I wanted. Um and that didn't fly with him. He loves to have all the control in every situation, and he did not have control over me as much as he liked to say that he did. 
and that's yeah. it. Back to mom. Yeah. So, mom. okay, wait, mom, before we yeah. get into that. All right. So yeah. let's, let's do just another little break and then um, we'll okay. come, we'll come back and find out what happened next. Um, what was the breaking point? And then we really want to focus on what did we learn from that? How can we help others yeah. Um, yeah. to move forward and those kinds of things? So we'll be back right after this right. on the extension hour. From the beginning, the main purpose of the Cooperative Extension Service has been to change human behavior by teaching people how to apply the results of scientific research. By utilizing a holistic, multi-level approach, Extension Family and Community Health Programs encourage health and well-being for everyone. Addressing values, concerns, and needs with reliable science-based information, Extension Programs help people lead healthier lives. We are Texas A&M AgriLife Extension, helping Texans make their lives better. Do you want to know what's going on in Conroe? Tune in to Keeping Up With Conroe. Keeping Up With Conroe will highlight upcoming events and local businesses in the area. Keeping Up With Conroe will air the second Tuesday of every month at 11 a.m. and will be hosted by the Conroe CVB staff. Keeping Up With Conroe will highlight Conroe's amazing attractions for residents and visitors. So tune in to Keeping Up With Conroe and join the staff of the Conroe CVB every month on Lone Star Community Radio. For more information about keeping up with Conroe and the Conroe CVB, go to visitconroe.com. God's Garage is a 501c3 that repairs and gives away cars for free to single moms, widows, and wives of deployed military. You can help God's Garage by donating a vehicle, volunteering your time, or by monetary donation. God's Garage is located at 2106 East Davis, Conroe. If you'd like to learn more about God's Garage, visit our website at godsgarage.org. Or you can contact us, and we would be glad to come and make a presentation to your group. Welcome back. This is the Extension Hour. I'm Amy Ressler. We're talking about uh, Behavioral Health and Suicide Prevention Task Force, sort of, but we are talking about a very specific case um, that involves behavioral health and, and in some cases so Regan you know I'm listening to you tell your story and you're you're talking about um, kind of having suicidal tendencies like not really wanting to live and just um, you got kind of hit rock bottom you're with your dad um, things are not going as well as you thought that it would or maybe as bad as you thought that it would because you were like really looking for kind of looking for a way out am I understanding oh that? Yeah, yeah all right but mom 100%. is still at home <laughs> biting your nails I am about your child yeah. <laughs> yes I am and so the story I'm getting after she moved was mm. everything's great mm, from both of, of them right everything's perfect everything's going fine so all right I guess that's the right decision I'm feeling pretty good with maybe that was the right thing to do so but very quickly it went south and um Reagan came to visit, so she moved in the middle of her senior year, so she, on January 1st was when she was at her dad's full-time. So spring break came, and she had a trip planned to come and visit me um, for a specific reason, and she didn't want to come, which was weird, but then I talked her into coming. She was, and she, it was weird, but she came, and we had what I thought was a really great visit. She was only here for a few days, we were pretty much together the whole time. She seemed good, um, but then she went home and literally within 
five days, four days of that, she was in treatment. So I don't know exactly what was going on in her mind when she came to visit me, but when she got back, the bottom literally fell out. And I had no idea that there was any issues going on. So I got a phone call from her dad and he was in tears. And they had just had a knockdown, drag out fight. Um, and she was not happy. I believe the cops were called there. It was it was a big sort of we call it her meltdown moment, mm-hmm. like Britney Spears. Her, she shaved her head, all of it, literally. It was like the ultimate of this girl is out of control and needs help. Mm-hmm. And we we don't know what to do with her. I know I can't fix that. I'm in mm-hmm. Texas. She's in Arizona. And I don't he's describing this to me. And I'm like, I don't know that girl. She's never been like that with me, but I know I'm not qualified to do or to help her. This, we need to find some place to take her mm-hmm. because I, I don't know what else to do. And, she, and I'm afraid, I'm afraid she's, he was terrified she was gonna run away because she, she wasn't 18 yet, she was still 17. So, so literally within three months, I was tasked with trying to figure out where to put her, what, what treatment center to put her, my 17-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about treatment. I don't know anything about drugs. I don't know anything about anything. And I'm fully admitting at the time, I know nothing. So what do you do? You get on Google mm-hmm. and you go, I got to save my kid's life. Okay. And I, I don't know who to ask. I don't have friends that I know of that have been through this. And so is Google helpful? So <laughs> actually, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm, my faith has always been very strong, thankfully. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how I would have ever made it through without that. So, mm-hmm. um, so mostly what I did was pray and, yes, Google, because I don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, in my case, pr- this particular program that she ended up going to kept coming up in the searches. Mm-hmm. And there were others, too, and I was making phone calls, and I was emailing and trying to contact, and this particular program was the only one that actually talked to me hmm. and would talk to me every time I called, right? So it wasn't because I, I, was, I needed help. I needed somebody to give me advice, and they were the ones that did, and they promised me, if you can just get her here, we'll keep her. And it was an adolescent program, so it was what I felt like was good for her, and I, they were just they were kind they were really kind and I was terrified I will say because I couldn't it wasn't like I could go there and check it out so Mm -hmm. I had to trust that he would and with her and that was so hard but he ended up and it's a two hour two and a half hour drive from where they Mm -hmm. where he lived so she was going to be in a place where neither one of us were Mm -hmm. but um, he got her there and they did keep her Mm -hmm. and she started treatment um, on March 23rd or something of 2018. Mm-hmm. So, um, and she was there 10 months and it was amazing. And then she got homesick and wanted to come home, which I loved, right? I missed her and she was doing well. She was sober and she came home. And what, of all the things that I learned while, while she was in treatment, I did parent meetings every week. Mm. They, as part of her program, there's a parent program. Thank God, because I needed somebody to help me understand right. what happened, how does this happen, and how do I help her, and how do I help me? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm a puddle. I don't know what to do. I'm, f- I'm afraid. Right? I'm d- terrified that she's going to die, 
and it'll be because I didn't do something right. right. So um, so they had a robust parent program that I, I couldn't physically go to because, again, I'm in Texas. So a mom in the program, they connected me with lots of moms, which I was able to talk to. And I will tell you, talking to another parent that's also in that situation is life-changing. Okay. It's just yeah. life-changing. You know, you figure out you're not the only one and everybody has a story that's equally as horrible, it seems like, you know, and terrifying, mm -hmm. but it gives you hope because these kids are getting better. These people are able to get better. And and even if we're new in the program, we talk to ones who've been there and they're they're succeeding and it gives you that hope that, that your kid can be okay. Mm -hmm. So she would, one of the parents would phone me in and I would be on speakerphone at a meeting oh. every week. And that was, it was amazing. It really mm -hmm. was. And then I got a sponsor and then I went through the program. She was the 12 step program she was in. So I wanted to learn the 12 steps so I could have a conversation with her about what she's learning. And, and I wanted to understand it. If I don't understand it, I can't talk to her about it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I dove in and, and it just snowballed for me from there because then we started to be able to have really good conversation mm -hmm. about our lives and what had happened and why this happened and just getting real honest and vulnerable with each other mm -hmm. about what I was thinking in situations and where she was at and, and our relationship just grew closer mm -hmm. and closer and closer daily, I, I think, mm -hmm. through that, that whole mm -hmm. time. But then she got homesick and moved home and it was wonderful, mm -hmm. but then she relapsed because we didn't understand that support for recovery mm -hmm. is ongoing and forever. Right. It's not, oh, you're fixed because yeah. I've spent 10 months and I'm sober. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot of lessons that we've learned through treatment and through recovery that um, through experience, mm -hmm. you know, not, not the greatest experiences, but they've taught us lessons that we've taken and been able to mm -hmm. apply um, as we've gone. So she did relapse and it was a terrible one. Um, we're not sure how she lived through it actually. So, um, and that was about a three, four, four week period of time she was gone. And then she decided that wasn't for her and she mm -hmm. wanted to be sober again. So mm -hmm. she's been home um, and sober since March 15th, 2019. Mm -hmm. So it'll be almost, it's two and a half years sober. Mm -hmm. And that's when we really dove into finding resources here and support for her here because all of her support was in Arizona. Right. So when she moved home, that was what was absent. So um, lesson learned, we have to have support. And mm -hmm. I have to have support too. I, I continually um, have gone to meetings. I still go to those meetings in Arizona. Now they have a video conferencing, so it's a little bit nicer. Mm -hmm. um, so I will join those when I can, but I started meetings here for parents. Um, called Parents of Addicted Loved Ones, and we meet on Tuesdays in the Woodlands. Okay. So, yeah, just to give back, because that parent-child relationship is so unique. Mm -hmm. Al-Anon is great. All of those meetings are really great, but the parent-child relationship is a unique one. Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't divorce our kids. We can't leave our kids. I mean, parents don't want to do that and can't do that. So it's, it's just a different dynamic, and so we address that specifically in right. those meetings. Yeah. So how was the recovery process for you? <laughs> She's carrying the show. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. no. So we've got just a, a couple minutes before our next break, but uh, just kind of. So, yeah, so I'll start. Yeah, it was a huge meltdown with my dad. Um, awful, but 
he ends up getting me to this program and you know immediately amongst walking in um kids just run to me right giving me hugs asking my name telling them they love me that they're so happy and i'm like so weirded out i'm like ew that's <laughs> gross you don't know me yeah. um and i and i remember because i went in to talk to the head counselor there right and he's trying to kind of get a feel of like my story and where i'm at and like what i've done and i'm just not budging right like i'm just like mm, i don't know whatever um but he started opening up to me about like his life um because all the counselors there are also actively in recovery and went through that program too so I kind of opened up a little bit and I was like getting a feel for everybody, you know, all the kids, they were super nice, super loving, super fun. And so I'm like, yeah, like these people would be really easy to fool, you know? Um, so immediately first day in making reservations, right. Um, to just like have my time here and then like just start using again. Um, so my dad left me there for that first weekend and I, hung out with the girls and I did really like them. I really loved everybody there. Um, they made me happy. They all seemed genuinely happy. And it was like that initial, like, hi, what's your name? And like, they give you a hug and then just tell you that they love you. Like as weird as it was, I never felt that love ever before in my life. Um, so that's like initially what really roped me in. Um, so I went into their inpatient. It was like 45 days long. So I lived in a house with about seven other kids there um and we did intensive outpatient for all 45 days i think they were like it was like six hours every weekday something like that um and that is really where my life started changing completely of course they introduced me to the steps the 12 steps and to getting a sponsor um and all that stuff so i'm kind of trying to gauge through here through all that um, and my counselor, I mean, I best woman on this planet. I love her so much. She saved my life. Um, and so we started doing all that and I'm kind of starting to shed, you know, some of this, all of this gunk I've been, you know, holding on to mm -hmm. my entire life. Um, and you know, by the end of it, I genuinely loved it so much, right? I loved sobriety. I loved enthusiastic sobriety. I loved loving people, you know, learning how to be a good person, learning how to have friends, um, just being with people that genuinely care about me. I, I never felt that before. Um, and so I got out of the inpatient and I went into outpatient and that was for another, I think, six, eight, no, weeks. eight weeks. Yeah, eight weeks. Um, and I hate change. Change is horrible. So immediately I start going downhill again, right? Um, I didn't use while I was there. I stayed sober for that 10 months, but I mean, change was definitely very hard for me. I did not want to leave that nice little impatient program that I was in. I loved it there. Um, but, you know, I kind of learned and like managed. And so I stayed for that 10, those 10 months. Um, and I really loved it, but I did. I, w I was homesick. Me and my mom started really growing our relationship and you know, it's hard to do that so far away. Mm -hmm. She can only come visit so often. Um, and so I wanted to move back. I missed her. We, I felt like that relationship got robbed. Mm -hmm. um, and so I moved back and lasted about a month. Um, and then, yeah, and then I relapsed and it was, it was hard. You know, I, I don't think I realized either. Um, 
I knew support was like a big thing and like that you needed mm-hmm. it because that's what everybody said whenever you were there. But I guess I also I I didn't really understand it at the same time. I thought like, oh, like it'll be fine, like it's whatever. Um so I was more so putting wants over needs at that point. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, so I ended up relapsing. Um, and let me let me let me interrupt you for just a second. So and we're gonna we're just gonna keep going for the last few minutes. Um, so did you have a breakthrough, like while you're in rehab? So you were in rehab for about 10, 10 months, right? So did, was there like this one point that was that you just made the decision? Okay, I'm going to be sober, or was it like kind of a slow process? It was a bit of a slow process. Okay. Um, it took a couple weeks. There was a lot of things I tried when they started making me do the step work. I was trying to pick and choose like, mm-hmm. oh, this works for me, but this yeah. doesn't work for me. But you have to do all 12, right? You do. You do have <laughs> to do all 12. Right. Um, but I'm very stubborn, especially really? when I first went in to recovery. So, um, I was picking and choosing, um, of what I wanted to do and I wasn't really giving it my all and it was at the the very end of being in that inpatient is like whenever I did give it my all mm-hmm. but then it that immediate change coming out of it right. and going just into in, or just outpatient and not being at that house anymore mm-hmm. um it it just like fell apart for me so with the relapse was there something like a specific thing that set it off or was that again just kind of a slow so things yeah so great (laughs) so um my main problem whenever i was at that Mm -hmm. recovery program was i never fully believed that i had a problem i could never Mm -hmm. fully admit my first step um neither did i i would have told you at that time too she's not an addict she just had a problem. Yeah, like it was had a really just rough like, time. It was a yeah. rough time. Like yeah. she's not an addict. And I did out. say that to multiple people. Okay. Well, yeah. it, I mean, it was. I was like, I mean, the only reason I do it is because all of these things that have happened to me in my mm-hmm. life, right? So, you know, after I got back and I didn't have my support, right? I didn't have all my sober people around me calling me out, holding me accountable, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also easy for me to you know see all my old friends again right well they're all in college they all use and they're fine and i'm like well i've worked through all of my trauma which was such a lie i worked off all my trauma is like done like it's good so i can do it manageably now right Mm -hmm. that makes sense um and so i tested that um i went and i got a dab pen and I was, you know, trying to manage it, right? I was like, okay, I'm only going to hit it like two times before bed to help me sleep, right? So that was my plan. That lasted three days. And then I was back on every drug I had ever done. Um, and I went and I had told her. Um, I came to the house and I had pulled my mom aside and I told her that I relapsed and that I didn't mm-hmm. want to stop using. Um, and I because at that point I, I i i had so much respect for her right i knew her rules in the house so i told her you know i know you don't want this in your house so i'm gonna pack my things and i'm gonna leave um this is what i want and she was just completely hands off and she was just like okay mm-hmm. you know i know it broke her to a million pieces for se- the second time around um but you know she i had to figure it out and deep down she she knew that um so I ended up leaving and yeah, it was like roughly about a month. Um, I, I mean, it, it was so out of hand. I mean, it's so true when they say, you know, you pick up right where you left off. It was like that, but times like 50 for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like I said, I was back on everything. This time I was also drinking um, and, you know, I was just mixing like so many horrible things. My The last week of me using every single night, I would have like all the jugs and all the booze, whatever I could find. I'd lock myself in a bathroom. I'd be bawling my eyes out because I, I hated what I did to myself and to everybody around me. I hated that I just messed everything up. I felt so guilty and that's the the guilt was the reason that I didn't come back sooner. But yeah, so every night I'm like locking myself in a bathroom, bawling, throwing up blood until I just black out. Um, and it was the worst thing I've ever been through, but I'm so thankful for that experience. I woke up one morning, uh, it was March 15th, 2019, and I woke up and I just took a look around this house. I have no idea what house whose house it was, the people like around me. I had like one friend that I knew um, and all the people had left to go get more drugs and whatever. They asked me if I wanted to come and I was like, no. And I was just looking around this house and it was just disgusting, right? It's just bottles everywhere, bongs everywhere. I mean, it was just filthy. It was gross. Um, and I, that's when I knew I, I didn't want to do this anymore. I immediately called my mom and I was like, I'm I'm done. Like, I'm so sick of this. I don't want to live like this. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy. You know, I want, I want to live. Um, and you know, we're both bawling on the phone. And at that point, you know, I had even researched rehabs in Texas and like sober living. It's like anything, you name it. Cause I'm like, you know, if you don't want me to come back home, I'll find somewhere to go, you know? Um, but like, I want to be sober and like, you need to know that. And, and you know, so she's like, oh, my gosh, come home. We'll figure it out. So I was like, okay. Um, I was about two hours away from the house, too. So I got in my car, and I drove home. And then we – that's when – Got to work. Yeah. We got to work. So we only have just a few minutes left. So <laughs> No, yeah, no, no. Um, so just in the last few minutes, what do you want people to know? I want people to know that they're not alone if they're going through this and that there are people out there that understand and can help direct them and find them help. Mm -hmm. um, Mosaics of Mercy is mm -hmm. a really great um, resource mm -hmm. in the Montgomery mm -hmm. County area. They have vetted a lot of resources mm -hmm. available and they will talk to you about what it is you're, you feel like you're needing. Um, we are available. We have a website, ourbeautifulrecovery.com. We have a Facebook page. Please reach out. I'm a counselor. I can connect you with resources. There's meetings you can come to and find resources. Um, just please know that you're not alone and you don't have to do this alone and you don't have to hide from it because if you hide from it, your child, it's life and death for your child mm -hmm. or for your loved one. So the sooner you can get help, the better for them. Yeah. yeah. So Reagan, what do you want people to know? Um, I think for, I literally just had it in my head. Um, but I think because I know at least for me, um, I know it's like really scary to deal with all that pain all at once. Mm -hmm. um, but it's I mean, it's so worth it. It really is. It's like get the help, you know, reach out, like tell somebody, you know, like, just do something like make some type of move to recovery. And I promise it's it's worth the pain that you have to go through mm -hmm. um, to get to the other side. Um, and it's like 
kind of what I was saying before, you know, like you're not worthless. You know, I thought that I was, I thought I was only here to die. And you know, that's not true. Um, that's not true at all. Um, and that, you know, you are loved and there's nothing too horrible that you've done in your past or in your using that makes you unlovable either. Um, because it's like, you know, people like me and other people that I met in recovery, we get it, you know, we've been there. Um, and you know, you'll always have a family in recovery. You really will. Um, so, and I, I think another thing that I kind of heard you say, um, it's a lifelong process, right? So it is. you're not just like suddenly recovered and it's Fixed. all good. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's something that you face mm-hmm. every morning you wake up. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It and is. what do you tell yourself when you wake up? Just for today. Keep it simple. Just for today. Stay sober. Just for today. Mm-hmm. Only worry about today. Um, I used to future trip a lot and that really helps me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, yeah, that's all I have to focus on is right now. Janelle, what do you tell yourself each day? I say thank you to God that she's with me and she's alive and that we get to tell our story if maybe it will affect somebody and help somebody change Mm -hmm. and get help and live live the life that they were meant to live because her life is now beautiful Mm -hmm. and to think that she could have easily been gone Mm -hmm. and and not not have the effect that she has on the kids that she is with now and um that would be really sad. So um, everybody has a purpose. And um, yeah, so I'm just thankful. Well, thank you both for being here and sharing your story. And um, like you both just said, hopefully this helps someone else. So if you need help, reach out. There is help. There is hope. You mentioned Mosaics of Mercy, and they are an excellent organization that we have here in Montgomery County. Very helpful. Um, The Behavioral Health and Suicide Prevention Task Force has 12 different work groups, and one of them focuses specifically on addiction um, because there's so many aspects of mental health. And so maybe addiction's not what every, I mean, it's not what everybody goes through, but it is what some people go through. So um, being able to find the resources that you need to address that. And um, so the other work groups also help. And uh, communityhelp.org is the website for the Behavioral Health and Suicide Prevention Task Force. And that can kind of help connect. And then you can always call us at the extension office. We are not counselors. (laughs) We do not. (laughs) But we can help kind of connect. So if you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I get a hold of um, Janelle again? And we will have your contact information in the in the description of the show so that if people want to reach out, they certainly can uh, visit your website, that kind of thing. But if you want to call us at the extension office, we're 936-539-7825. And, you know, in extension, like we're all about helping Texans thrive. So sometimes it means like agriculture and growing good plants and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And then sometimes it just means mental health and growing good people and helping people have better lives. So again, thank you so much for sharing and thank you for listening. This is the Extension Hour and I'm Amy Ressler and we'll see you next time.